Welcome everyone to Sunday service here. For those here, a special welcome for those here in the Temple of Light at Ananda Village, and a special welcome likewise to those watching online. I am Swami Pranabha, and this is Swami Parvati, and it's our joy to be with all of you. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda with commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's focus is, does God hide the truth? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In last week's reading, we saw that the great masters themselves counseled discretion in the dissemination of truth. The counter argument is sometimes made, but the Lord doesn't hide. He reveals his beauty in the sunsets his tender sympathy in the rain, his wrath in the thunder, his restless energy in the brooks, his power in the sunlight. There are exoteric truths and there are also esoteric truths. There is that which is revealed impersonally and left up to us to interpret, such as the thunder and our perception of it as divine wrath, the rain and our perception of it as God's sympathy, but behind even God's most open expressions, there lies impenetrable mystery. The wind blows where it wills, said Jesus in chapter three of the Gospel of St. John. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Sri Krishna says in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, by me, the whole vast universe of things is spread abroad. By me, the unmanifest. In me, all, our existen all existences contain, not I in them. God's hidden reality cannot be understood by the reasoning faculty. India's Shankya philosophy states frankly, Ishwar Ashita, God is not provable. A willingness to seek the underlying reality behind appearances is essential for those who would know God. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, I also would like to welcome everyone, and I'll be reading from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's wonderful book of prayer demands. I baptize myself in the waters of my tears of love. Through long winding pathways of self-doubt, fording mighty rivers that separated thee from me, trudging over endless wastes of barren lives, tossing dangerously on the rapids of many ambitions, arduously climbing steep mountain trails of desire, and carefully extricating myself from whirlpools of alternating sadness and hilarity. 
At last I have reached my journey's end. I look upon all those past travails with joy. Every struggle, every past agony has produced a flowing spring of joyous, grateful tears. In the sacred waters of those tears, I baptize myself daily with deep love for thee. So welcome everyone. It's so nice to be here. And I'm saying that because last weekend we were in Ananda Los Angeles doing programs over a number of days. And uh, I'd like to just describe that a little bit to you. Ananda Los Angeles is doing very, very well. It was really a joy to be there and to spend time with the group there, the people there, everything. So we arrived on a Thursday. That evening we did a satsang in Thousand Oaks, which has a, it's a small center, 30 miles north of LA, which means it takes hours to get there. <laughs> 30 miles is a long way in Los Angeles on those freeways, which are t always packed. The next day, what did we do? We went to the beach, Friday. <laughs> in fact, we went to a restaurant that we had gone to three years ago, the last time we were there. It's called Back to the Beach. And the restaurant is right on the, the sand, so you're sitting there. But it was wonderful. We had a lovely late breakfast with the core group there. So the spiritual directors are Narayan and Dharma Devi, and the rest of the core group is Michael Eob, who does Crystal Clarity, Lot with Crystal Clarity, which resides now in Los Angeles, and then Dharana and Prita. And each of those three are majorly involved and responsible for making a lot of what Los Angeles, Ananda Los Angeles has going on happen. So it was really nice to spend time with them. And there's such a, a, a great deal of harmony there. It was really just a, a joy to be there and spend time with all of them because they're so involved and so interested and, and hopefully the three of them, Dharana, Prita, and Michael Eob, will be coming here in October for yoga teacher training course. So anyway, at least Prita will make it, but the others want to come as well. So we'll, you'll be able to meet them, hopefully, at that point. And then um, Friday evening, we had a satsang with the ashram residents. Now, the way Ananda LA has evolved is that there's a house on one street there's a house on the next street over, and the backyards are joined. And so they have this beautiful lawn there, and Dharmadevi and Narayan live in a tiny house there. And so it really does have the feeling of an ashram and a, a budding community. But it was very nice to do that. We did it out, outside on the lawn and just had a fun time talking with them. And then the next day was a Kriya retreat day. And so we did a class in the morning at the new center, which is beautiful, really, really lovely. It's a, a warehouse that they transformed into really a jewel. And it was very nice to be there. It, it hosts uh, one side is crystal clarity with the background. The uh, warehouse is in the back. All of the books are there. 
You could drive a car into it if you needed to from the back. And then on the other side is the area where you walk into the greeting area and a boutique area and then the temple. And they have several bathrooms back in there as well. So anyway, it was just lovely to be there. We did a, a workshop in the morning for a couple of hours. And then they all uh, went to Yogananda's crypt at Forest Lawn. So about 20 of them. And uh, this was with uh, Kriya retreat day in mind. And so they went and meditated and chanted and spent some time there and then came back and had a special sadhana and all of that. And then that evening, Pranaba and I did the first in-person Kriya initiation that they've had in their new center because of COVID, you know, it's just been a long time. So anyway, and Dharma Devi and Narayan uh, blessed with us. So it was a lovely time. And Dharana, who, um, as I said, is very involved, his oldest son, Liam, took Kriya for the first time that night. So it was just very nice. There were five new Kriya bonds, and about 35 people attended the Kriya ceremony, the initiation. The next day was Sunday service, much as today is, and uh, uh, it was lovely. We, there were about 40 people there, which is a really good crowd for them. And many people, there were a number of people that they hadn't seen in four years, seven years that showed up. And anyway, it was just a lovely vibration and very nice way to be there and spend time with them. And then after that, they had planned what they called tea with, with Swami, tea with Swamiji. But everyone was hungry. And so they, they overruled, everybody else overruled that idea. And we all went to lunch. And so we, we talked about, at Pranava's, there were about 25 people. And it was a lovely, big restaurant, very noisy, but really good food, all vegetarian. And, and so at Pranava's table, they actually held him to telling tori stories of Swamiji. <laughs> at my table, I was just talking with individuals from various places and people that some, some I hadn't seen in, I don't know, 20 years. Rosemary Cameron, for anybody who remembers her. Anyway, um, it was just a very, very nice time. And we were able, again, several times to spend quality time with the core group there, which is doing a fabulous job. So they not only have the ashram houses and the center, but they also have a property of 80 acres in Temecula. And they're using that for um, retreats and programs in that way. So we'll most likely go back next year and go down to Temecula and do a program there. But I just wanted to let you know all of that because it's important to know that Ananda is really happening in these places. I, I emailed uh, Narayan and Dharma Devi after the weekend and I said, you know, thank you very much for being there and for drawing together uh, people. In LA, it is not easy to draw people together. It's like any big Indian city, except not quite as packed, <laughs> not quite as populated, but, but still, people are spread out all over. And where the center is, is fairly centrally located, but you have to get on a number of freeways to get there. But it just had a really nice vibration. People were there, and they were very happy to be there. 
Some were a little new, but a lot of them were coming back and, and really enjoying being with each other again. So it's really happening there, and we'll see how it evolves because they've still got other things to do. So anyway, when I was thinking about this topic and just listening to the, uh, the affirmation, I thought, well, there's the sermon, you know, really. It's a beautiful affirmation to feel that you're seeing God in everything, but as, as Swami says in the reading, you have to go behind that even. And when it says, I'm just gonna grab this, the, the trick is that when it says, which week are we on? Uh, 32. What? 32. 32, there we go. And when it says, renouncing my little egoic self, there's the kicker. I expand with my great soul self everywhere, but renouncing my little egoic self and that is really what we're trying to do in, in our path. It's a path of self-realization. It's a path of liberation. So once you've gotten this far, and you're even interested in this path, but if you enter into it, you take meditation, and you've got uh, Kriya Yoga, and you've got energization, and you've got all the things, everything. Yogananda brought everything to support us in making this real. And so <clears throat> it's really amazing to think that we have this opportunity to really become free, inner freedom, liberation. But, but as you do that, I, I wanted to read a couple of things because I got interested in remembering uh, just how it was for Swami Kriyananda when he met Yogananda, what he went through, and I was reading The New Path, and, and uh, just enjoying, not his pain, but, but what he went through, and when he met Yogananda, and what happened there, how, how really, truly extraordinary it was that he appeared, bought, you know, bought the book in New York, read it in three days, waited one whole day before he got on a bus, went across the country, went first to Encinitas because he didn't realize from reading the book that there was an organization or that there was anything other than Encinitas for whatever reason. Anyway, met Gyanamata briefly, okay, back on the bus, back to, to Hollywood, and I thought, wow, he could have so easily missed meeting Yogananda that day because he didn't get back there. It's a hundred miles. He didn't get back there until 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and then was told yet again, well, you know, you can't see him for two and a half months, and in the meantime, you can take the lessons, and, you know, he's like, mm, you know, I really need to do this, and then he thought, maybe I'm not ready, <laughs> which he said was a novel thought for him, <laughs> because he'd always had everything going his way, and so he said, when he said, that he accepted what Gyanamata had said, blessed her, and then said, well, maybe I'm not ready, and let's just relax about this. He said, I knew in that moment that it was, I was gonna be accepted. And uh, it was just an interesting energy 
shift there that is good for all of us to keep in mind as well. But then the woman came out just as he was about to leave at Hollywood Temple and said, let me, since you've come so far, let me go and ask you know, Yogananda if he can see you. And then she came right back and said, he'll see you now. Poof! You know, I mean, wow. He, Swami didn't know anything. He just read the book and was totally enamored and captivated and just totally with it. And, and I wanted to actually read what he put in, uh, in the, uh, the New Path about his impression when he read the autobiography. He said, I read in the autobiography of intense love for God, such as I myself yearned to possess, of a relationship with him more intimate, more dear, than I had dared to imagine possible. And then he goes on to say, until reading the autobiography, until now I had supposed that a life of meditation might give me at best a little peace of mind. But here I discovered all at once that the fruit of the spiritual life is a love and bliss beyond imagination of expectancy. And so I wanted to, to read that because one, I thought once again, what, a, what an amazing uh, book the autobiography is and that it's gone out into the world over the last 75 years to every, probably every country in the world and many of the languages it's been translated into, but that it carries this message of light and of truth that's so clear and accessible. You can have this. You want it? You can have it. And, and then Master Yogananda brought all the ways to do it. And in the autobiography, he even describes Kriya Yoga in depth. And, you know, but it's, it's just, we live in a just transformative time, time of great change. But this is part of the change too. It's about light. It's about soul expansion and really understanding what that means and how to do it, how to do it. So anyway, that was, was something that I just wanted to highlight because I thought, you know, it's so easy to move along. And many of us here, people online as well, we're living the spiritual life, you know, but, but you need to keep living the spiritual life. It isn't that you make the choice and then, okay, and then it's done and just kind of unfolds. No, no, it's called the battle of life, remember? <laughs> and it means that all, once you make that choice, all along the way you need to keep making that choice. Pretty much every day, every moment would be good too. But at any rate, that you really take that on. And I was thinking, and we talked about this in Los Angeles, because you see what people have to deal with. <clears throat> 
it's like the whole of the LA area, I don't know how many square miles it is, is vibrating, you know, like this. The freeways are constantly packed, it doesn't matter, night and day, night and day. Where we stayed at the ashram house is right on 10. <laughs> That's a major freeway. And you can, it wasn't bad because it takes on just this Hmm, kind of like Ohm, but at a lower level, you know, in the background, but, but it's constant. Unlike Palo Alto, where you have trains ripping through every so often, that's a little more hard to deal with. But the constant hum is not too bad. So anyway, but, but just um, that, we, uh, we really either now have already done this, keep affirming this, or little by little make this happen, where the spiritual life is your life. It's not something that you add on and do uh, periodically, like, oh yeah, I meditate, you know, several times a day or a week or, you know, whatever. No, the whole spiritual life, that becomes the center of your life. And then from that, all the, all the little things that are pulling on your energy, you look at them and you say, you have a, a place from which to say, will this help me to grow spiritually by doing da-da-da? Will this help me to be able to practice Kriya Yoga better? Da-da-da, you know. And so you have a way to kind of center yourself and your life. And really, without doing that, we're on the periphery. And, and we can say, yes, God is in the sun and in the flowers, and we can come at it from that level, but that's not what self-realization is about. Self-realization is about knowing in all parts of body, mind, and soul that you are now in possession of the kingdom of God, that you don't need to pray that it come to you, that God's omnipresence is your omnipresence, and all you need to do is improve your knowing. I love that last line. All you need, makes it accessible again, Yogananda. All you need to do is improve your knowing. And that's what you do the rest of your life. And for lifetimes after this, if that's needed. But at any rate, that we engage fully. And, and why? Not because somebody's saying you should do this, we're not about dogma, we're not about proselytizing. Ananda and this path of self-realization, it's about joy, it's about bliss, it's about freedom. And so if you like those ideas and want that, then naturally you want to, and without, as Swami said one time to me, without stripping your gears, just make it happen, really come at the path from with that understanding, because it will give you fulfillment. It will give you everything you have ever wanted. Every little desire that pulls on your mind and, you know, consciousness, none of them will give you that, except the path to self-realization. And so we have that to, to do. And, and it is a battle, yeah, no, no doubt about it, because we're in duality, we're working from, you know, uh, this center and wanting to do that, and, and 
duality is always pulling on us, always, constantly. That's its job, very impersonal, but you know, there it is happening. And so we have to uh, be vigilant, be aware, be constantly reaffirming what, what our priorities are and what we want to do. The other thing that I wanted to highlight is something from the essence of the Bhagavad Gita, and it is the, the Bhagavad Gita chapter 17, verse 25. And the verse itself is <clears throat> somewhat understandable, but, but basically what it, I just wanted to highlight what it's getting at because it's so important as we go along that we don't lose heart. And it's interesting we say don't lose heart. We need heart, we need devotion, that's vital. Without devotion you can't take one step on the spiritual path. You have to court that, you have to pray for it, you have to figure out how to make that a reality in your life. But this is a commentary that Swami Kriyananda wrote. And when I read it, I was just very struck by it. One, he says, whatever, whatever gifts of higher truth you get and inspiration, you want to give those back to the guru. So in meditation, if you uh, receive inspiration, you give it back to the guru for three reasons. To receive still further enlightenment, so you don't say, oh, mine, I, I got that experience. Ooh. You, you give it back to the guru. So to receive further enlightenment, to correct any error in understanding that you might have had about it. And lastly, with eternal gratitude to him from whom the enlightenment has come. So those, that's part of it. But the second part was the part that really struck me, and it's about the desire for results. Because this naturally comes into your mind if you've been on the path five years, 10, 15, 20, half a century, whatever. It's like, where are those results? Am I, am I doing things right? And uh, this is what he says in a nutshell. Not to desire results does not mean not to desire enlightenment. So results are different from enlightenment. A truly sattvic person need hardly be advised not to seek selfish fruits. In other words, if you've been on the path for a while, you know not to seek selfish fruits from his spiritual actions. He may need to be counseled, however, and there are four things not to seek specific results, even spiritual ones, from his spiritual practices, such as a hope for visions and phenomena. Don't seek those. Many who share truth and inspiration want others to be helped instead of leaving the results in God's hands. These are subtle things, but they're very, very important. Three, they want, this is us, we want some outward manifestation of the guru's pleasure or love for them, a very difficult thing to surrender. 
and four. Many who practice austerities want, quite rightly and understandably, to see some inner consequences of their practices. And this is how he ends this. All these desired results do come in time to the sincere seeker. But giving up attachment to those results will keep one focused on doing rather than on reaping benefits from one's practices, and therefore on continued effort until there is no sense of doing, doer, and done, because one is merged in the infinite. I would highly recommend looking that up and keeping, keeping it in mind. It's, it's something that, as the path becomes longer, we're on it longer, we need to understand the subtleties of how to be successful. And the goal, it's very interesting, when you reach the goal, you're no longer there. <laughs> you're no longer there. You're merged in that divine. And so it's, again, you know, Swami Kriyananda said at the end, and I'll close with this, at the end of his life, he said, I no longer know where Swami Kriyananda ends and Yogananda begins. That is our goal, and that's the path to self-realization. This is a mystical love song called Where Has My Love Gone? It expresses the search for God and the yearning for Divine Mother's love. Sweet 
Ha! 